고민의 고민을 거듭하는 것이 다. 안녕하세요. I'm not going to ramble in this introduction. My guest for this episode is Reading Base Brewers, Dane and Dom, co-owners of Phantom Brewery Co. So I jumped on a train on a day when there wasn't a strike and made my way down to south of London into a town called Reading to talk about all things beer, punk rock, pop punk festivals, with Dane and Dom. Reading is probably best known for Reading Festival, and it's that very subject matter that we start our conversation. I'll be back after my chat with Dane and Dom, owners of Phantom Brewery Co. I'm living on shady faith Kind of likes to restrict your breath Never been a better time in this Suffocate out in darkness in a city This wasn't so much a You see me rise above and take its place The heart pumps until it dies Train to blood, the heart is wise All my friends are murdered Hey, all my bones are no marrows in All these fiends want teenage rage All my friends are murdered Let's, let's start then. So we are at the home of Reading Festival. Um, I attended Reading Festival a long time ago now, and my lasting memory of Reading Festival is when Daphne and Celeste played, and they were in between a Slipknot and Blink, and a lot of bottles were thrown at them, and I'm ashamed to say that I probably contributed to that. <laughs> and, um, and that's my lasting legacy of uh, Reading. So how about yourself? Have you ever thrown a bottle of piss at two poor girls just trying to do their job? I can't say that I have. <laughs> Um, I also can't say that I've been to Reading Festival for a, a little while now. It's yeah. changed, obviously, since then. Um, but obviously, growing up in Reading, that was the festival when we were kids that was kind of the first music festival we went to. Um, and I think we were lucky that at the time we were going, the lineup was more suited to kind of our music tastes. I think probably changed in the last probably 10 years. Um, it's been difficult to justify going, even though we're on the doorstep based on the lineups that we're seeing. Yeah. There might be one band on there. Every so often you see a Jimmy Eat World pop, pop up on the lineup, and you, that's a band that you'd love to go and see. Then you look at the ticket price and go, ah, oh, but I can just go to the Brixton Academy and see them for a <laughs> fraction of the price. And they get to play a whole set and not just the, you know, the hits, so to speak. So, so the voice you heard there was? Yeah, so that's me. I'm, I'm Dom from Fantabury. I'm the, uh, the owner and co-founder and uh, this is Dane I'm the other owner and co-founder of Phantom Brewing Co 
So we, we spent a lot of time today talking about football just because I was on the train here and I was surrounded by football fans and I love football, but fans are just dickheads. And as two fans... I'm <laughs> <laughs> taken. How, how do you find like travelling around? I don't know, do you guys go to home and away games? And if you do, like, are you one of those people who will take a couple of beers on a train? And if you are, what are those beers that you are taking on the uh, train? So we're definitely privy to train beers, that's for sure. But whether it's going to the football or not, I mean, we, we try and go to games when we can, but with the business, with the bars and just, you know, having to spend time at home as well. Um, I'm a Reading fan, but I live down in Portsmouth. So, you know, the kind of traveling to get to games is not always easy. And Dom's a Sunderland fan, so same same deal with him. You know, you go to away games and you can kind of travel around. So, uh, no, we, we definitely uh, take beers, try and find the best bar possible as close to the ground to, that serves good quality beer rather than just any beer and then uh, try and make a day of it. But <laughs> Well, I mean, Spurs, for instance, they've got their own little small brewery, don't they, at the bottom of the, the stadium. Um, uh, I'm trying to think who the breweries you might know. Beavertown. Beavertown. Yes. Yeah. So have you ever thought about doing that? you ever approached a football club and goes, let us brew in your stadium? Yeah, so obviously being based in Reading, yeah. from Reading, and Dane's a lifelong Reading fan, we have reached out to Reading Football Club. It's something that there is a level of interest in doing something, but as per any kind of commercial partnership with a, a football club, I think these things probably take time. We're really keen to do something. We've had a lot of backing from Reading fans. Previously, we, we've done Reading themed like beers, um, celebrating kind of old classic Reading kits. And then we just went down so well. We, we sponsor a, a local group who do a Reading podcast. So I think the the appetite for it's there. Um, obviously, the elephant in the room for a lot of these football clubs is they have huge commercial partnerships, ties and things like that. So it is a, a really difficult situation to, to navigate. But I think we're seeing it happen more and more. You mentioned Spurs. They, they obviously got the Beavertown Brewery in there. Obviously, that's still owned by Heineken. Um, <laughs> but it, it's showing that there is a scope to do more around beer than just you know your standard two options. Yes, you, Man City generally have track beers and quite a few um, other... Uh, Manchester breweries, uh, Sheffield Wednesday, they get their beer from Thornbridge. Still, um, Huddersfield will always get a Magic Rock before Magic Rock sold out, but then now they're kind of back, potentially not as sellouts anymore. But yeah, so there's a, there's a bunch of football teams that actually do work with local breweries to produce something. Uh, Cheltenham, go to Dea. Um, they made a beer for their promotion um, the other season as well. So yeah, some clubs are like, easing into it Reading we're hoping to be uh, the next one where we can have our beer there so the reason I've come down is because in a couple of weeks time you guys are going to be doing a uh, festival called Hot Punk Festival you were saying earlier on it's like 50 is that right 50 other independent venues yeah so it's about 40 I, I've inflated it. I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, by the time this goes out, it might be yeah, 50. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about that a, a little later, but I just wanted to get the dates out. So February 25th to the 26th. If you're in Reading, come here, or where can other people find other breweries or uh, So if venues? they head on to our social media, we'll be gradually putting out what we're doing here at the brewery. It'll be a link to um, at Hot Punk Festival, where they're going to be putting all the different venues across the country, because it really is a proper multi-venue all the way up north, down south. We've got quite a few important Portsmouth that way, right, Worthing, and then, yeah, like I said, all, all kind of round. So they'll be where um, we're doing the re release of which venues are doing it, and then each venue will kind of have their own spin on it and be posting themselves about what, what they're doing. So when I say punk rock and craft beer, um, some people might not see a connection, but I actually do. So if you take a step back, there, there are similarities. Both started out in small rooms, and I'm guessing that's the case for yourself. Selling it locally and then trying to build yourself out and then eventually you might get big and then start selling at Morrison's then sell out gets thrown at you and then you don't give a fuck you got enough money and then like 
the DIY scene, there's that loyal support that you have within the community and uh, you start pushing boundaries with your beer and trying new things. So for me, that's kind of like how I see the, the link between craft brewing and punk rock. That That is a lot of like hyperbolical bullshit sometimes. But I mean, do you see similarities of truth? Yeah, I mean, for sure. We definitely see a lot of that kind of um, in the same way that when you find a band who release their first album and a lot of people have this kind of notion where they release their first album and they they love it and it's to them they go oh this is true like a punk rock album amazing and three albums down the road that band's got huge and they kind of disassociate from from the band um, at that point i think we see ourselves as a brewery at being at that early cycle where we're seeing a lot of our customers uh, almost have that tribal love for the beers we do and you know, a lot of them, because of our love of pop punk and punk rock, like they typically, we do a lot of references and we're not necessarily on the nose with it, but, you know, sometimes we are, sometimes we're not. We, we When we first opened, um, we launched with a beer called Feeling This, which obviously is, a, you know, it's a note to the Blink-182 song. It's just had such a great reception. So it kind of vindicates that crossover appeal. And it's it, it's not just the demographic it's the kind of ethos that spreads across both both groups so we've kind of seen that grow and we put out a beer with a you know a certain name that might be a, a nod to a, a lyric not necessarily a song title and we get messages all the time from people saying oh by any chance is that a reference to this band and of course it is so people get it and that's kind of where the idea for hot punk festival took off from so in regards to then going to to gigs and, and watching a show do you remember the first punk show you went to where actually had a beer and do you remember the band and the beer you had i don't remember the first punk show where i had a beer um but my first show i think was my mum took me to see blink yeah and they were supported by sugar cult um it was at wembley arena and i think i was 13 years at 12 or 13 years old and i just remember we were right at the back of the arena and it was just awesome because it was the era where blink were playing just like crazy fast no click track no backing track um, and it kind of felt like I'd not really seen music performed that way before. Um, you kind of see music on shows like MTV and things like that, where everything's meant to be recorded to such a squeaky clean kind of way. And it was so different to that. Um, and it kind of stuck with me. In terms of going to shows and having having beers, uh, Reading Festival, yeah, for sure, was because it's on our doorstep. So the, the beauty of Reading Festival is that we can actually... We could actually um, go into the festival site with our own beers in the campsite. So we're not actually too fussed about drinking inside the arena. We would be going, oh, great, we've got our beer in the campsite. That's what we're drinking. We don't really want to pay £8 for a pint of Heineken <laughs> or, or whatever, yeah, it was, yeah. whatever it would have been back then. So, yeah, I suppose festival, you know, Reading Festival would be the one. Talking about Reading Festival, how, how did you get around the warm beer in the morning, breakfast beer? I mean, how, did you have any hacks? Well, so yeah, when it comes to gigs, it was, yeah, Blink-182, like, without, I didn't actually know Dom then, like, properly, but same gig, that was my first one going to as well, uh, and then Offspring pretty pretty swiftly after uh, Brixton, but yeah, never involved in beer, just because the age we were, you know, yeah. kind of, and, and how that, like, the hype around, like, pop-punk and all the band's success was kind of trending downwards, like, compared to the heights they had, um, and then Reading Festival, like I said, for us, it was a... Uh, it was when you turn 16, then you're going to Reno Festival, your GCSE day, you get your results quickly, and then you head there and have some beers to either celebrate or commiserate or, you know, no one really cares. So that was the first time where it was like, cool, there's beer mixing with music is kind of what we're, um, 
we're thinking really. So what, when was the point where you're like, okay, like we enjoy beer, but we think we could do it better? So I, um, I quit my job and uh, started looking at doing some professional gambling in football because uh, I'm a numbers guy. I've got yep. a maths degree. I went and did my master's then and started doing probability modeling. And I was like, oh, well, I'm going to do a small job on the side. I need some hobbies, need some time on it. And so then I, I'm pretty sure Dom got FOMO against uh, the fact that I wasn't working full-time job. He's like, oh, do you know what? I fancy having a bit of time out as well. And then I was like, sweet, then we can come up with a hobby. And it was like, oh, well, we're trying all these different beers that we're really getting into. Let's see if we can brew them ourselves. And then we don't have to buy them shop, which I'm sure a lot of brewers would, brewers would say. They go, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to brew at home because it might be a bit cheaper, which it isn't cheaper. It, it costs a lot to make good quality beer at home. And within one or two brews, we were just there going, this is awesome. And, and I said, like, when I started doing my other kind of work, I did think if I'm going to have another job, it's going to be something I actually really enjoy because I didn't like what I did, but you know, it pays a certain amount. You get to do traveling, there's all these other perks, but overall I, I hated what I did. And so to me, it was like, oh, if I'm going to do something, I better enjoy it. And I loved making beer and uh, enjoyed drinking it. So it, it became, that's why we kind of went into it. I'm, I'm interested, Dom, with, with the FOMO. Did you, did you approach him by saying, I'm going to be your Tom Cruise and you're going to be my Hoffman? <laughs> not, not that I'm implying that you got any form of autism. <laughs> no, I mean, at the time, when you sort of asked the question, is it something that you looked at and thought, oh, we could, we could do that? It, it, that was never really the mindset. It was more, you know, we're best mates and we, we, we were at a point where I was living here in Reading, Dane was living in Portsmouth, so we'd see each other on weekends um, and, and drink beer, you know, as, as a lot of people do. So we started the kind of homebrewing side of things with no indication of going, let's start this master plan where we've got no idea on how to make a beer and in five years we'll own a brewery. It, it, it didn't really start like that. It started as, oh, well, we've both got beer time on our hands. Let's, let's start you know, brewing just because we love beer. Um, and the first beers were dreadful, but you kind of get the bug for it. And once you get the bug for it, you find yourself going down the rabbit hole where actually both of our wives are probably thinking oh, well we'd like to do something on a Saturday and we go oh we, we can't because we're brewing and that takes up six hours of the day so we'd do it alongside watching the football we'd have soccer Saturday on the TV we'd be in my in my garage brewing um, small batch kind of terrible beer and over time the beer obviously gets better because you've gone down that rabbit hole as it gets better you then think oh well what do I need to do to make it even better so you end up putting some money into different parts of like equipment that would better help you temperature control your fermentation and things like that and before you know it you're kind of going oh this is actually dominating a large part of my life and unlike a traditional job that does that and you don't love it I'm really enjoying every single minute of this just as much as the first time I brewed that beer and it tasted awful but I felt amazing because I brewed a beer um, and it just never really went away um, so you kind of get that encouragement by going, oh, well, it's bad, but it's better than the last one. So you keep going. And when you keep going, it gets better, better, better. And somewhere down the line, you end up here in Reading with the brewery. I
if anyone goes, I've got a stable job, I'm making a bit of money, and then you tell your family, oh yeah, do you know that thing we were doing in the garage? We're going to go and try and do this full time. I mean, what was the feedback from your family? Was it supportive or was it like, what the fuck off? No. Uh, so my family definitely understand that I'm going to do kind of what I want to do and that they they know I really just set a target and I just go for it. So they thought it was crazy, but they're like, uh, we trust that, you know, you, you will make it work or you won't, but mm. you know, and you'll, you'll be fine with it either way. So they, I don't think they imagined the scale that we wanted to go and like, as soon as we uh, moved into our first warehouse, um, we got the keys and we went in there and it was just an empty shell. So even for us, it was quite daunting looking at the space going, wow, there's 6,000 square foot of just empty space. Yeah, this is a lot. It's not going to seem so big once stuff's in, but right now, and everyone came and visited then going, how are you going to fill this space? And we're like, oh, in a few weeks, hopefully it might <laughs> not seem as daunting to you. But And then, like I said, you look back at it now and you're going, oh, that space is tiny, like compared to kind of what we need for our production and all that side. Uh, so yeah, so it, it, it's always been supportive. They kind of just all went, well, yeah, you clearly enjoy what you do. You clearly have a passion for it. Um, they know we, we travel around the world trying to drink the best beer. Um, and have a good time just me and Dom together, let alone when we go away with our wives or other friends as well. So I think it was just kind of like, yeah, no, this fits. This <laughs> this makes way more sense than kind of what they were doing before and uh, where they're interested. And then, like I said, a lot of the actual brewing side then links to music um, with like where we are on our brewing cycle and what music is. Because I just got reminded when Dom was saying about those homebrew days, uh, there's like, I just go straight where you'd put the music on and you kind of listen through albums before Soccer Day Saturday were doing it would be the Fuck Off and Dies yeah. that was uh, <laughs> that, that album was just a big one that straight away at that time I remember that was our homebrew days that's when it came out so we just literally go through the album uh, straight through and go oh yeah let's do that again <laughs> <laughs> having a few beers at the same time so what about yourself Don I mean like how was your family were they, were they the same as um, Danes yeah obviously it's it seems a bit kind of like radical to go into something like this but they they obviously had the knowledge that it wasn't on a whim um it's something that i think if if i'd have just said day one that's it the jobs jack that that in and we're starting a brewery they'd go well you don't know how to make a bloody beer so what are you doing so obviously friends neighbors family had been tasting because when you make you know we were making like 23 liter batches um as much as you love beer, it's hard to drink that much when you're making it every week. So we were distributing it to people and just saying, here, have, have some beer, like, hope you enjoy it sort of thing, let us know what you think. And it gets to a point where they're kind of seeing that you're getting better. They're seeing that, oh, hang on a second, this isn't just like a crappy homebrew that tastes oxidised and isn't carbonated properly or, you know, it just isn't a good beer. Hmm. They're starting to see that, oh, actually, that's a really good beer. So we're always kind of concerned that you get that confirmation buyers from people that love you because they want to support you um, but the more we kind of gave it to other people we were kind of getting really good feedback so I think they understood that it wasn't on a whim um, and again it's kind of got parallels to, to music you see a lot of you know young musicians taking that that road in their lives um, whereas you know a lot of you know, I'm a parent I've got two kids and I would I'd like to think I'd support my kids if they made that decision but you're obviously nervous because you know the probability of someone being successful doing that. So it's it's got the same parallels in that it's a leap of faith. Um, and we were, you know, I think I was very clear with, with my family and saying, look, this is what we're doing. Um, and we're going to really go hell for leather with it and, and give it our best shot. Because we were at a stage in our lives where my first son was on the way. I was very mindful that at some point, I, you know, I have to provide for my family, but mm. 
I also want him to understand when he gets a bit older that his dad's happy when he comes home from work rather than, oh, he makes a bit of money, but I barely see him. Yeah. So it's afforded us a good work-life balance as well. So how do you kind of... So just thinking like how to kind of keep the, the link between music and, and craft beer. Like if you're a band, you're surrounded usually by other people who love music and who love bands and they go, oh, this is how we do it. This is how you should do it. I don't know about your kind of your, your um, circle of friends, but did you have friends who would go, okay, well, you've got this great beer and you're in the garage and it tastes good. This is how you should start marketing. This is how you start bottling. This is how you start contacting breweries. Or is it very much, let's Google this? No, we were like on our own because so few prior to working in beer, I didn't know anyone who worked in beer in the same way that, that kind of we did when we started the brewery. So there's a lot of learn by doing, mm. trial and error. Um, first thought, best thought, you have to go with it because you obviously don't have any experience to fall back on. So, for example, when we're doing our business plan, one of the crucial elements of any business plan you've got to do is, well, how much money are we going to make from beer? That translates in beer terms to how much beer are you going to sell? Well, we don't know. We, 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 we can't put an accurate number on that. We think this is the baseline that we need to sell. and we, we hope that we would do that. But anything above that is kind of a bonus. There's no structure to that because we don't have the, the kind of um, the background in it. So you do as much research as you can, but it only takes you... 80% of the way and the, the remaining 20% at some point you've just got to take a, a leap of faith and go no we're, we're doing this and we have to kind of live and die by the decisions we make and fortunately we're both very decisive and we we like to kind of shoot from the hip so it gave us the you know we we had the 80% and we just went now's the time like we just have if we're going to do it we have to do it and, and Dane I'm interested to know how welcoming was the, the craft beer community because obviously it's, it's, a, it's become big like it, it, it keep, and the worry i suppose is that it's becoming kind of like podcasting really it's it's so many people trying to make their own space and elbows are out i mean how did was it welcoming was it warm or was it like no fuck off kid i'm gonna push you even further down i think it's it works the same in beer like it does with new bands like everyone wants to find the next best thing everyone's looking for that be the person to go look see the, here's what i found see how good they are so same with beer you just have so many customers that want to find that next best brewery that next up and comer and then go i knew them when they were small like yeah. you know, I, I had their first beer off out of the fermenter now they're absolute massive behemoth but you know i remember them then like people do about beaver town now they'll talk about beaver town quality beers from way back when said so i had that when it was original um they talk about it with brewdog where they say no i remember punk ip when it tasted like that and then actually now and then obviously the change and everything that's happened there um so i think um on that side you're always going to have people welcoming you because they're going to go oh we want to find that next big thing so we want to try it and we hope that it's going to go well and like i said you have to make stuff that's of a quality enough because it is so competitive we always said like from day one you don't have to make the best beer day one but it has to be of a standard that people go cool i'll try them again and then you hope that you keep improving and they and go along with it and you know I'm, I'm i'm so keen on research i spend so much time me and don spend so much time on google just literally anything you don't know well type it in there and work out watch it a video do this and i spend so many times if someone said something i'm like oh i didn't know that yeah. let me research more let me understand more and so when you come from that background it's easy to, for people to be welcoming because like i said we think we did a pretty good job day one however where we're now compared to where we were is night and day like the, the quality of beer is just different standard but it was there so that yeah every, everyone was very welcoming generally across the board and it's such a competitive market but like i said people want to drink good beer people want to find 
good spaces, you know, inviting spaces where, like I said, here at our bar, we make sure kids can come, dogs can come, everything. We just want it to be an inviting space. We make sure we don't just have beer. We have spirits, we have cider, we have all these things to make sure that if a group of 10 people come and one person goes, but I don't like beer, we're going to go, oh, we'll try these different beers because you might find the beer that you that actually makes you a beer lover. But if not, don't worry. We don't want your group to feel like they've got to leave because you can't drink anything. And that's where the, that's why I see the craft beer community. It's just generally a very welcoming place where, you know, we, we talked be, uh, before this about the football um, fans and having a certain environment. You're like, that's not really kind of what I'm into. And same, you have a Weatherspoon, you have those kind of pubs, you go, well, there's not really what I'm into in terms of drinking beer. But craft beer bars, breweries, they're exactly the spaces I want to go. They're exactly the spaces that you kind of look around and you go, oh, there is equal female males here. All of them are drinking beer. That's a nice space to be in. You go to Weatherspoons and you go and, oh, it's, if it's beer drinkers, it's 80, 90% men. And then 10%, you're going, that's because the environment doesn't invite, the, the quality of the beer isn't quite there and stuff. So, so yeah, so I, I think overall, like when we started, it was just a nice place to kind of get going. We had a big opening where loads of people came down and those people are still coming down to this day over three years on well it sounds like the craft brewing industry kind of welcomed you in i'm interested to know about punk because being self-proclaimed lovers of pop punk within the punk community like fuck off no like you're not allowed here so i'm interested to know like growing up was did you find your way in through like the blink 182s and then maybe discovered kind of like the more kind of like the gbhs and the chelsea's or the hardcore kids with h2o or madball like did did you cross through those rivers or was it just pop punk is what we enjoy? I, I think for, for our age group, because we are the same age, um, it was that one that actually we were the kind of different people in our year and the music we liked. Generally, you know, if you were into pop punk, you had that kind of group of small, small, small group, like maybe like 10 people who you would say about the album. They're like, oh, yeah, I know that. And that became your little community. Yeah. And that community, we kind of generally moved together. So you wouldn't then kind of go outside and have this other one that's into there. And like, like I said, it'd be pop punk into metal, into other things like my brother was in, um, always in bands kind of growing up. So I'd always get to see the other side of different styles of music that he was playing that wouldn't necessarily be always to my taste personally. But, you know, the people that I would hang around with would go to those gigs and really enjoy that as well. So, yeah, for, from my side, it was, it was always really easy to navigate because you're going, oh, I'm not really into the heavier side always but stuff like the Bronx is kind of like you know you know that's a nice level where it was an easy transition generally all the people that I had the kind of pop punk side would always be in that kind of level anyway there's always that notion of a gatekeeper yeah and in some ways that's like the least punk thing ever um and I, I remember back when Gallows kind of blew up and they released in the belly of the shark and everyone was just absolutely loving gallows and they went to that next level of success and for what it's worth i you know don't massively rate great britain as a as a great album um i won't tell lags okay. but but they went you know but they went to that level yeah where they were a, a punk you know hardcore band i guess um and they changed their sound slightly they went a bit kind of bigger budget with the orchestral pieces and things like that but at their core, they were that kind of punk band that went to a level that few punk bands in this country get to, where they're on the front cover of magazines. You know, they're, they're one of the biggest bands that are blowing up in the country. And at that point, I think there's a almost like a toxic relationship with bands like that, where they achieve a certain level of commercial success or notoriety, and then the gatekeeper comes in. <laughs> and the gatekeeper says, oh, well, if you like Gallows... You better have liked the first EP 
and not album three <laughs> because that's not as punk as the first one and that's kind of was always my relationship with kind of the glossier produced poppier sounding kind of you know your, your blink albums your newfound stuff for me like you look at newfound glory kind of the probably the artist that bridged that gap for a lot of people because they had obviously they had their albums early on which were pure pop punk so you get your sticks and stones they went to catalyst and you started introducing some of those more hardcore elements into the music and then obviously the side project of international superheroes which is straight up hardcore yeah. you know music so and then you look into their background and chad bing and shy halud and things like that and you go okay so they have a grounding there and it almost feels like you have to sort of prove that you enjoy those bands as well as newfound glory for fans exclusive exclusive of that um you know type of punk to to kind of take you seriously but it, it's the whole gatekeeper thing and it probably shouldn't really exist but it does i think uh, one of the things i remember like on on the pop, pop punk side is uh you know it links back to i remember the original stuff so if you're a blink fan you know you had to like songs like damn it they, they had to be your kind of favorite stuff and obviously the self-titled was the best album in my opinion but then i remember not now coming out uh, on the when they did the greatest hits and uh, a girl in my year said, oh, no, that's their best song. And you have to go, no, it can't be, because <laughs> it's, it's, it's off Grace. It's not even off an album. And then you listen back going, oh, what a great song. Like, it, yeah. is, it, is, it is up there with one of their best for sure. But, you know, you had to be like, no, that's not Real Blink. Real Blink is the stuff that was out before you heard it. Yeah. Yeah, well, so. I, I'm that wanky guy who, who will die on a hill and say that Cheshire Cat's their best album and anyone who says anything other is just bullshit because you're not listening to the true blink. Oh, but the production on it is so bad. But that's the good thing. Mean, as as a punk DIY, fan, I'm yeah. like, I fucking, I love like how just, just shit it sounds and then you've got Buddha if you listen to that and wow. I think anyone who goes, oh yeah, if you like Blink, like listen to this album. I'll you raise go, you a fly swatter and you go, that is almost <laughs> yeah. impossible to listen to now. It crackles in your headphones. Exactly. Like, I'm, a, I'm a big massive unfortunately now no effects fan and I'm always going to be thank you so much um, and like S&M Airways is the shittest album that's ever been produced and made but I'm still like that guy is like I, I will defend it like I, I will still defend it I know it's shit but I will defend it well and um, we, we get it even now especially the way the pop punk wave and then you have the bands like still going to this day, but you go, oh, is the music they're producing quite up to the same level? Newfound Glory being one of them, you know, they had their high point and then they waved down. We, we've been listening to the latest Fallout Boy stuff coming out. And uh, like essentially you go, it's kind of uncool to like their new stuff compared to their old stuff because it's not the same. But then you do get some absolute hits that come through and you go, but do you have to be willing to listen to it? And sometimes it's really easy to fall off. So Newfound Glory being one of those bands, I'm just like, you fall off listening to their new stuff because I go, I don't expect it to be of the same quality. So it, it's tough, but then I'll have Dom who tell me going, no, listen to that new stuff because it's really good. And you go, oh yeah, no, you're right. I, I should have just listened to all the stuff kind of all the way through. So was, sorry, go on. I was going to say, with, with that as well, I think nowadays you look at the latest kind of wave of what would, I suppose, be the equivalent to Blink and Green Day and The Offspring. I think it's a lot more all-encompassing of different genres than it was when those bands came through. And I don't know if that's with a cynical view of that's how they're kind of being packaged and marketed to appeal to a, a, wide, you know, a wider audience. But, and, you know certain artists in that realm I don't particularly listen to myself or, or enjoy but you look at Travis Barker working with guys like Machine Gun Kelly you know, Kenny Hoopler and people like that there is almost that crossover appeal with different genres like R&B hip hop and things like that and 
to me, that's almost a good thing because it's opening people to go, oh, well, hang on, it doesn't have to be, you know, Route 1 punk rock, you know, four called punk rock every single time. I think those artists, if they were coming up 20 years ago, would have struggled a lot more to gain acceptance because people would have gone, well, no, this isn't fucking punk rock. Like, you, this isn't how a punk band sounds and stuff like that. So they mentioned Fallout Boy. They've, I think they're two songs they've just released. To me, that's a band that's making an effort to kind of try and... I think they're working with Neil Laveron again and the production, they're trying to go back to more of the pop-punk sound because they went to that straight-up pop yeah. sound. It'll be interesting to see if there is a route back to those fans that loved, you know, Take This to Your Grave from Under, under the Court Tree and hated the stuff that they've done in the last 10 years. I don't know. It, it's just going to be interesting to me to see if that gatekeeper still kind of exists for that, that kind of band. She says she's no good with words, but I'm worse. But they started out a joke of a romantic stuck to my tongue. Way down with words too overdramatic. Tonight is a can't get much worse. Worse, no one should ever feel like I'm two quarters and a heart down. And I don't wanna forget how your voice sounds. These words are all I have, so write them. So you need them just to get by. Blink seems to be the band that you that was your entry into it. What was it about Blink that that you just gone? Wow, okay, this is something that I I, I get or it gets me. It's kind of the the carefree. We we were at like the perfect age to listen to those albums. You know, when you're kind of like fourteen, fifteen, you're listening to Enmore State and you think it's like the coolest thing you've ever heard, <laughs> yeah. and you're like, oh, this is awesome. And now you might listen to it as like we're in our thirties now. You might listen to that and go, oh, some of those lyrics are a bit. Cringy and and no one is they're not you know Tondelong is not winning an Ivan Novello award that, that's for sure, but back when you're that age and you don't really have that kind of understanding of of that type of writing of music, it's so accessible and it's so easy to listen to because they're catchy songs but they they're not catchy songs like you'd hear from boy bands or pop stars or things like that they've got guitars. The actual band themselves have a personality that you can kind of associate with. And it kind of felt like you were part of, at the time, it felt like you were part of a small club. Dane mentioned that in, in school you'd have like a year of like 100 kids and 10 kids would be into that kind of music and that was your friendship group almost by default. Mm. Um, so it just, yeah, I think it, it kind of strikes a chord with people of a certain age. And again, we were the perfect age when they released the self-titled album because we were then getting a bit older as they were doing their more mature quote-unquote sound um so i think it hit pretty nicely for us yeah so i agree like in terms of their immaturity was kind of that way and i link it to like how we have with beer sometimes like we are, our designer is a guy that went to college with dom so dom's known him at absolute ages like 13 14 years um and we he's fantastic at what he does so you make the branding look awesome on a beer but then if the quality of the beer is no good it doesn't matter like people buying going oh i won't get another one of those because as much as it looks cool it doesn't do it so blink one two had that kind of thing to draw you in like with the immaturity and all these other things but then the the quality of the song was actually kind of what made you stuck around and, and what you saw was a progression per album so like you know comparing to say um 
uh, Newfound Glory, where you had a little bit of progression over a couple of albums, coming home being probably the top level of that. Um, you can see the difference each day. It doesn't mean you're going to prefer the new one, but you could actually go, this is a band that is transitioning. They're not just going, this is our sound. This is what we sound like. And with pop punk and the age of the people that kind of go into it, it's like us. I, I had the Plus 44 album on the car when I picked up Dominant Station. And in my head, the way I think about Plus 44 is like, oh, that's kind of like when Take That reformed <laughs> and they were they were on stage and they went and they start doing their dancing. You're like, oh, you're old men. It just like, it just it looks wrong. And like when I think about Plus 44 now, I kind of go, look going, oh, I like the songs. The album's actually, you know, it's, it's decent, but it just looks like your dads who can play some songs. It doesn't feel quite right. And pop punk has that like, weirdness that yeah like you look at the age of Mark Coppice now and if they were just spending their whole time on stage doing the same things they did when we got into it you'd kind of go oh this yeah this is cringy this isn't but at the age we were it was the exact thing that made us listen to it more do you think that Travis Barker's like that kid who's had two divorced parents and he had to choose between the two of them so he did Box Car Racer and then did Plus 44 I think he's like that kid that just sees something and goes I want that <laughs> because that guy his ridiculous amount of output every year there's maybe 10% that I get on board with yeah. and there's 90% that I just immediately disregard as like oh well a record label have got an up, up and coming kind of edgy artist that they want to promote as being the next big thing oh let's just get Travis Barker to play on it because that's just going to immediately give some kitsch value to that scene which immediately will propel it into the charts and it's not a slight on him as a person uh, and a musician because actually his musicianship it can't really be argued. He's clearly an incredible drummer, but I think there's only a few projects where he sets himself to work and you can go, oh, he's invested in actually the overall project. And that's where the Blink stuff comes in. I think it's very different when he plays on a Machine Gun Kelly track. I think he is just kind of serving that purpose. Whereas in Blink, he is one of the artists. He's actually crafting the song. He's actually being creative there and cares more about the overall finished products. Do you, do you think it's a damning indictment of Angels and Airways that Travis went, nah, I'm all right? Uh, <laughs> I mean, at that point, I think Tom was getting three other dudes who just would not say no to what he wanted to do. Yeah. And that was the result of that. And it, and to be fair, like to me, the first Angels album, I will still listen to because, again, at the age I was and the adventure came out and it was a great tune and you know there were some good songs on the album and it just seemed to go downhill, downhill. I think he's doing, well, has been doing prior to rejoining Blink, obviously, um, more creative stuff with Angels when he got Ilan Rubin involved. And that guy is clearly like a virtuoso. Like, he's incredible, multiple instruments. Um, and he's, you know, there's a reason why he's played with bands like Nine Inch Nails and Paramore. Like, he's clearly an incredible musician. But incredible musician doesn't necessarily equal great album. And while they've been experimenting with different things that I can see that, you know, he's bringing something to the table... People who like Tom DeLonge typically like pretty simple Tom DeLonge songs, not layered in repetitive synths and delay pedals. Burn to every yeah. Tom DeLonge fun <laughs> right there. <laughs> um, so let, let's talk about like how you've incorporated bands' names into your beer then, because I, I think Feeling This was probably the one that really captured like Enemy, Kerrang, yep. all those music industry yep. magazines were like, oh, look at this. And was that intentionally in your mind we're like oh you know what actually people might see this as a good marketing opportunity so it's, it's weird how it kind of comes around like um so we generally make beers as one-offs we we don't we, ha we don't have a core range we might brew a beer every year but like once a year certain ones they come back maybe some we'd have 
three times a year if they're really popular. But the whole we, we like newer is better is kind of like you know saying we sometimes use and just um, throw different stuff out. So when we first started, we wanted to kind of come up with you know our initial beers that we didn't think were going to stick around, but it would be the first one. And you know we, me and Dom, essentially kind of like fell in love over Blink One Eight Two football, these things that we had in common. And so we're like, oh, do you know what? The first beer we're ever going to produce, we're going and we're going to put it on tap one for our first opening night here. Let's name it after our favorite Blink song off our favorite Blink album, kind of thing. So someone off that album feeding in this. And so it was just meant to be like a throwaway one one off beer. You do it. But then it sold really well and everyone was like, oh, that beer, yeah, straight away. What a great start. Like I said, the beers now are different quality to what they were then, but it was that one that kind of gave us a name that people went, oh no, you do need to try the beer. And um, so then so then it stuck. So we're like, oh cool, we'll brew that a bit more. And we yeah, we brew that like two or three times a year. It's not it's not something that does it. But then all, all the people started meshing us when they saw the news articles about it and all these other things. So um so each year we do like a one blink one new blink beer and we do it for our birthday and we do it based around the album artwork and kind of and it's very on the nose compared to everything else we do and it's just like a nice one to go cool what's our next favorite album the next song title so year two was um take your pants and jacket so it was online songs uh year three was damn it uh year four was dark side and so we'll be going into the next one next year where we then have to kind of come up with the idea concept and uh, based around that. But yeah, so it's, it's just a lot of fun. We didn't expect it to do anywhere like it did, um, but I said our kind of demographic really goes over a very similar group that is pop punk. Mark Hoppers has watched someone drink our beer on Twitch as well. Well, that's going to be my next question. I mean, how much are the bands that you kind of reference to are aware of it? Like, have you had Brody Doll get in contact and go, here's my fucking lawyers? <laughs> so so we, have, we have some of them that kind of react to it and like do an auto. Blink-182 once likes one of our our posts about it which are like oh that's awesome like that's kind of like uh, we've made it yeah. <laughs> they're not trying the beer but I said there was just someone on Twitch who got some of our Blink-182 beers and then I watched it and then you saw oh Mark Coppice is watching him drink our beer this is insane like you just don't imagine that um, we we did like a Wheatus inspired beer before where they, like, we messaged them and they just went oh yeah next time in the UK save us some we're like oh that's a one off so that, that probably won't be back around but, <laughs> but yeah so some, sometimes they notice sometimes they don't you know, to, to us, it, it doesn't overly matter um, whether they do. If they do, you go, oh, this is awesome. We'll try and reference like new music we'll listen to and just kind of break through. But a lot of the time, it's just the customers that kind of notice that you go, oh, that's awesome. They'll, they'll sometimes send a message over Instagram going, is this based on that? And you're like, you're in the club. <laughs> like, there you go. <laughs> yeah. that, that, we are the gatekeepers now, and you got it. <laughs> I got no regret right now. Getting back to kind of like the marketing side of it, Sam Cavalloni, and I think I've said his fucking name right, from Dogfish Head, said, don't let the tail of money wag the dog of inspiration. And for me, that sounds a bit of a Keith Morrissey kind of lyric. But um, like, how hard is it to balance that creative side, but also know that we need to make beer that's going to sell? It's easy when it's going well. Every so often, we do want to scratch that itch to do something a little bit different. And because we don't have a schedule of beers that we do that are you know, our signature beer that we release all year round or, or whatever, no core cool range, 
we do have the ability to very quickly go, oh, we've actually decided we want to brew a red ale. We're brewing that knowing that that's not going to sell anywhere near as quickly as a 5% hazy pale that will just fly out in pint form. But we'll still do it. Now, we're not going to do it all the time, primarily because we don't really drink much red ale ourselves. Yeah. You know, we enjoy it every, every now and again, but we're not going to do it all the time. And if we did, that would be a pro- you know that would be a problem where you have to start thinking about those things. How are we actually going to make this work commercially? Again, it, it does link to music where you have the difficult second album. You have the first album that hits a certain way, and certain artists will have maybe a notion of oh well, actually, what's the progression of our band? What's the progression of our sound? Do we want to go in a darker direction? Do we want to go in a poppier direction? Is that a commercial decision or is that a creative decision? For us, we're, we're always looking in one-offs. It's easy to move past the, the previous beer because we've got more beers coming all the time. So if we do a red ale and we, we don't feel too much pressure going, we're going to be stuck with a load of it because we know that we're going to have another beer come in the same week, if not the next week. And we know that the likelihood is we're not going to brew two red ales or two imperial stouts or two typically slow-selling products back-to-back. Um, so... It, it gives us creative freedom that we don't have a set structure to brew to here. It's something that we've really enjoyed since day one. We, we get asked all the time on beer podcasts, like, will we do a core range? We've never really been interested in doing a core range so far. As Dane said, feeling this is the beer that comes around two or three times a year. We, in, we really enjoy the fact that when it comes out, people are desperate to get their hands on it, and it's special. If we went, oh, do you know what? We're going to brew feeling this year round, and you can get it whenever you want it's still going to be the same great beer, but people won't find it as special anymore. So it, it kind of gives us the creative freedom knowing that we've got those beers that will come out and people will buy them because they enjoy them. So for people thinking, oh shit, the audio has changed. Uh, we've moved from the kind of the hall because the rugby's playing. Um, so, so we've come to the office now. So this is where sort of the mood might change a little bit because I, I feel like whenever we talk about punk, you, you kind of have to talk about BrewDog, mainly because they have marketed punk as their biggest selling beer i mean they're, they're now they're oh well they're the most punk brewery so everyone knows <laughs> everyone knows that so they i mean they, they they market themselves as the biggest craft brewery in europe they've they've punk ipa if people don't know is like their go-to beer that they they shift at weatherspoons and, and, and such they've sued pubs that had the word punk in it they've they've been accused of uh, misogynistic behaviour within their workforce. There's been industry actions against them, documentaries made on the BBC. That's just, it hasn't been a great time for, for BrewDog PR-wise. And because brewing, kind of like punk, everyone seems to know everyone. So I'm interested to know, like, when someone that's meant to be seen as the people who are pushing the industry forward, making kind of making more um, noise about craft beer and how great it is, but the figurehead has this toxic hay mm-hmm. around him. How difficult is it f- to work in that industry? Because you guys have put out blog posts about misogyny in craft beer and, and you've, you've spoken very openly about it. Was there a risk of going, well, they're going to see that and then know we're talking about them? You don't actually name them. Well, we, we don't really care because the, in the beer community, they're not the figurehead. In maybe the, the everyday person on the street, they who you know they're not into craft beer and they they might go oh I had a lovely hoppy beer and it was this and you go oh, well, that's not really a hoppy beer <laughs> but they, to them they think that this is the great innovator 
Um, and the reason they think that is because it's the most thrust in their face because you, you know, you go into London, there's a, a Brewdog bar on every bloody street, pretty much. It's, it's ridiculous. So I understand on the wider scale of things that that's the perception, that that's what craft beer is. The difficulty we have is that, like I said, in our industry, and, and we almost segregate ourselves from that because in our circles, we don't have any of that. We don't see that amongst people that we associate with and we don't condone it. And, and it's something that, as you said, we've, we've spoken about before. The frustration is that I suppose we might get tarred with, oh, well, Brewdog are the leaders and these guys are just a, a, a Brewdog thing. The fact of the matter is some people will think that and it's out of our control. The frustration is we don't want people to see their business practices and see it as being indicative of an industry and us get tarred with that brush or breweries that we know get tarred with that brush because Brewdog are the heads of it, according to, to people. But in terms of what, you know, what we can control, we focus on what we can control. We talk about the policies that we have at the, at the brewery here that make people feel in- included and safe. We can only control that. The narrative that lives outside of that about a massive company who do terrible things, and we're all reading about it. We all know that it's happening. Um, that's out of our control. It's awful, abysmal. Um, it's a shame that they are the flag bearers for craft beer, and it shouldn't be that way, but it's really difficult when the financial situation of their might and power of, of marketing overtakes what the reality of the industry is on a, on a lot of levels. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a massive shame, but to some degree, we're really powerless to, to that being the perception. We'd love to change that perception. We'd love for people to think that craft beer isn't like Brewdog, but the reality is they're everywhere and we're just a small brewery in Reading. The comfort we have is the people that know us and the other breweries, they're in the same position that we're in, sat talking now. We know what Brewdog are like. They, they, know, they know that other breweries have certain codes of ethics. So it would be nice if we could extrapolate that to the wider community the way i i see it is i, I remember i was having my hair cut once and i was talking to the guy and i was i was like oh are there forums online where you go and talk to guys about techniques and he's like yeah and i was like oh i just have never come across that i don't know any kind of knowledge that's going on in the hairdressing world and the haircutting world and he's like oh yeah everything on my social media is all based around that because that's my life and same for us we are big guys so everything our social media everything that we kind of do you see every story you see everything and you kind of go oh how do more people not know about this and go oh no it's because our lives our algorithms fixate to giving us that all yeah. and we go and research it and other people don't see it do they care you, like you you don't know whether the, you know from their side they actually care that much about who's making their beer they just care about the beer they're drinking that, that's something you can't ever control but you're going off oh, from our side and the, in the brewing side everyone has that same stance on you know brew dog and they hear the stories everyone kind of knows everyone about that but the person that comes in there it's not our job at the same time to tell them about brew dog it's our job to make sure what we're doing is correct it's right it's inclusive and everything like that and so that's all we can do and then you kind of look and you go also the quality like the the beers they're producing compared to them you can go take everything else off the table and you go but there's so many brewers doing it better anyway and then you add this so you like it's hard to educate people in that way because as I said, you're trying to push your business. You're trying to create the best quality beer possible. So you kind of want the BBC documentary stuff like this to actually come out and put into the public so that you go, cool, that is now doing the job so that people know and people can make a, a better choice because the people that are choosing them now are doing that just without all the information. And so you can't blame the people because if they don't have all the information, then they're going to make it based on what's obvious to them. And the whole kind of PR nightmare that they're 
they're going through at Brewdog. Well, let's not forget, you reap what you sow. This isn't these things are coming out and they're just sensationalist. This is how they're treating people. The amount of complaints and people that have come forward saying things about Brewdog as a company, you'd be an absolute fool to disregard that because you, you believe people, you trust in people. Now, obviously, we understand why Brewdog would not want that to happen because it's a PR thing and it's, a, it, it, it's going to affect them. So who are you going to trust? The company that doesn't want it to affect them on a PR basis or the people whose lives it's actually affected. So the fact that this is getting out into the BBC and going into the mainstream is a, is a, you know, it's a terrible thing that's happened, but it's fantastic that it's being put onto a platform where it's being seen by the man on the street who's actually previously would just go, oh, craft beer, brew dog. Well, actually, that now they might see that news piece or they might see an article and go, oh, well, actually, I saw that they're not a great employer. They don't treat people well. And it is quite laughable when... They call themselves kind of a punk brewery because it goes against every ideal of, of punk rock, doesn't it? Yeah. Like you said, like taking a, a positive out of a, a very negative situation. Do you think it's from from the, the allegations that have come against that brewery? Do you think that it has made craft beering more inclusive? Because, like you said, like the the, the breweries that that you associate yourself with have gone. Well, no, fuck those guys. They're nothing. We're, they're not representing us. We like to put women, people of non-gender, like forward. We're 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 about inclusiveness. This is what we want. When it comes down to responsibility, as much as everyone would like to feel and be responsible for how they treat other people anything that puts pressure on that to improve it is only a positive so anything that pressurizes the industry as a whole to be more inclusive it comes from a negative of obviously something bad's happened something's gone wrong here we're not treating people how they should be treated but the flip side of that is if people react in the, the right way and there's a pressure to be responsible and a pressure for people to maintain standards and ethics, then that can only be a good thing. And it doesn't matter if you're squeaky clean. That pressure should always exist. I think the uh, the quick, easy answer to that is, currently the industry is as good as it's ever been in terms of inclusivity, and it's still so far off where it needs to be. So, you know, at the same time, new companies come in and they're more forward-thinking. They are trying to be inclusive. They're making sure you have female and male staff there. You're creating spaces that everyone wants to go to, not just certain people that are necessarily beer lovers. Um, but, yeah, like I said, we still hear stories from just people that are at bars or are drinking and the way they're treated. And you're going, ah, yeah, it is, it's not a good industry on that side compared to where it could be. And, and let's not forget, this is a societal problem as well. Yeah. But we're focusing on what we can control in our industry, in our environment, in our establishment. That's where it starts. And like I said, the responsibility is to to keep pushing on that because it's not okay to kind of go, oh, well, it doesn't really affect us and we've got it sorted here. So meh, like that's not really how we're going to push forward. The way we're going to push forward is by maintaining that pressure and these news articles to be in the mainstream it was fantastic when BBC did that because actually it did shine a light on something to a lot of people that would not even know that that's happened. They would have no idea and they might go after work every Friday into a brew dog and have a couple of pints and they didn't know that that was the situation. If that changes the perspective of you know, even a handful of those people, it's a start. So we need more of that in, in, in the media, I think. So let's let's move away from flirting with Brewdog lawyers, because I'm sure as a podcast called Punks in Pubs, <laughs> I'm probably already <laughs> highlighted um, in their cease and desist orders. Um, so 
we're going to start wrapping up, but I, I, I feel like we have to talk about the fact that because you're based in Reading, I think there's a lot of people who go, well, the festival is clearly a, a place for you guys to go. But I'm guessing, as we've spoken about with football, the commercial ties that they have. Has there ever been like a, a conversation of just doing like proper DIY, get a generator and a ticket queue and just fucking oh, pop up a beer and just go, come on, guys. Uh, it's, it's something that actually because of the lineup changes, it's a different demographic than it was when we went and even then we were still the kind of demographic that's there now that it's not simple like the age range is generally 16 to 18 yeah 18 now so you, you kind of have that fight and you, like when we first opened and Red Festival was actually on we were like oh yeah all these people will come here because we're the closest thing we're that close so we'll go down there tell people to come to beer come get beer and then you're looking down the road going oh I, I, I don't know if I can give them a free beer because I think they might be 16 yeah. and you kind of get started and then you're like oh they're definitely over the age so cool you come. <laughs> and then they'll come down anyway so we've, we've ended up being like this like nice spot of the people that want to go to the festival each day but they're like oh no I want to have some good beer before I go so I come there get my beer then I go in and watch the music go home the next day and they'll come all three days um, and then the people that just go I don't really want to go to a festival but I want to watch the music we play it on the big screen and, and we're that kind of environment for them as well but it, yeah the way that you look at the lineup sound you kind of see the band you're kind of like ah, oh, this isn't our age group anymore it is the younger ones who go do they have can they afford um, craft beer generally no are they even old enough to have craft beer no like I said we, we you know having all our staff going I, I keep having to ID people because I just can't tell you're like no that makes total sense now yeah. I mean you can market it as like come for great beer but also have a shit yeah. because that, that, would, that would be my kind of yes that, that's yeah. where I want to go and so let's wrap this up now and I, I try and ask this question to everyone who comes on the, on, on the podcast if you can go for a beer with anyone Living or dead within the punk community, I'm pretty much certain you're going to say someone from Blink. But like, what would you go? Where where would you go? So a, you can pick a bar or a brewery that you want to visit with that person. And what do you think you? Well, what would be the question you want to ask them? Oh yeah, toughy. Because um, as I said, you, you go for the obvious, like going for a drink with Mark Coppers would just be something you go. Oh, I want I want Mark Coppers to give me like a. A noogie, just literally you get, you get, <laughs> <laughs> around and you go, ah, this guy, <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, you know, in terms of going place for a beer, so we we travel around the world and we just have like certain places that we kind of go, oh, that is ultimately like Treehouse um, over Boston Way, where you just sit there. It doesn't matter who you take, you would take them there, and they just go, wow, like this is impressive. This is a space, whether they're into beer or not. So you'd always want to do that because I'd go, oh, I want them to kind of see my world. I want them to kind of if they're not into craft beer already to make them a craft beer fan all of a sudden you can oh that's a space where no matter what they're going to have quality beer and do that so I think that's probably where and I said yeah it'd probably be Mark Coppice and then as I said I'd go oh are you sure you don't want a beer? (laughs) An easy answer would be someone like Fat Mike because you're going to hear some stories of stuff He's going to be a prick Yeah of course he is (laughs) of course he's going to be a prick but you're going to hear some stories and go wow no one can tell me stories like that there's interesting people in the scene that would be cool to go for a beer with like Dane said Mark Hoppus would be awesome Tom's Long would probably not be awesome because as much as I love his music he's going to just chew you off about aliens the whole time um, Laura Jane Grace would be an interesting one um, we mentioned Gallows earlier I think Frank Carter would be a really interesting one because he kind of toes a lot of kind of intertwined culture with us in terms of the tattooing and what was it like to go from being this tiny punk band to being fucking massive and like huge and now back down to probably a more humble level 
um, you'd have some really interesting conversation with those people, I think. Uh, so we'll wrap up. I said it with the last question, but I just this one popped in my head. And one word, what I want from you is just one word. Skiba, success or failure? Can I justify it afterwards? <laughs> sure. Success. Because they got nominated for a Grammy, which has not happened for them in their career. So but that's the, commercial success. As a fan. As a fan, success because it kept the band alive. Failure. Because <laughs> it just looked weird. And I... I, 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 I just I, a goff. I, 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 the thing is, like, Alkaline True are just so good and you go, it just fits. And then you watched them on stage and you know what we said earlier about Plus 44 looking like they're kind of like dads on stage and it just feels a bit more uncomfortable than what it is. Matt Skiba, you kind of looked at it and going, oh, it just, it just feels weird despite the fact, oh, you sing way better than Tom Long ever has. So it, that works. But... Yeah, just uh, there's something about him dyeing his hair and you're just going, oh, yeah, we're, we're all 30 years old now <laughs> watching you in this. I, I don't know. I will defend him on the fact that it seemed that on that first record they did with him, he didn't have a huge amount of creative control on it. And to me, the songs, I think, no heart to speak of that had like elements of Alkaline Trio. I was like, that's actually what I was interested in when they announced he was joining. Are they going to kind of stitch in some darker kind of Alkaline Trio vibes into the album? They did go the very John Feldman route for 99% of it. But, you know, that 1% where he was allowed to kind of thrive and have those like darker kind of songs, I thought were highlights, but hey-ho. I thought you said one word, but we've, we've <laughs> gone on with it. <laughs> it is fine. Failure. <laughs> <laughs> Lads, thank you so much for giving me your time. Uh, just very quickly, again, if you could tell people how people can get involved with uh, Hop Punk Festival. Yeah, so um, if you follow us on, on social media at Phantom Bruco um, and follow at Hot Punk Festival, you'll see all the venues that are taking part. There's almost certainly going to be one nearby to you. Um, it's on the 25th to 26th of February, so it's over the, the weekend, um, and all the venues are, are going to be celebrating everything good to, to do with craft beer and pop punk. Perfect. Ding dong. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Hanging out behind the club on the weekend Acting stupid, getting drunk with my best friends I couldn't wait for the summer and the warm tour I remember it's the first time that I saw her there Thank you to Dane and Dom for giving up their time to speak to me. If you wasn't quick enough to write down all the information regarding Hot Punk Festival, don't worry, you can click the link in this podcast description that is on your phone or your laptop, wherever you're listening to my voice on. That's it for this episode. If you would be so kind, please WhatsApp the podcast to a pal or two that you think might dig it and go give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify or wherever the fuck you go get your podcasts remember if you're going to a punk show and you see someone fall down you pick them right back up again and that's it deep breath guys we're going back into the real world don't worry you got this till next time bye bye
Fucking fuck show 